Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by, hanging out with us today as TLC presents Todd Versations. We are so excited to have you join us once more, and we are really thrilled to have our guest today. Please, everybody, give it up for the Chief Commercial Officer at Wholesome Family Farms, Ricardo Crisantes. Welcome, my friend. Welcome. Thank you, Todd. Glad to be here. Glad to uh, be part of the Todd Versations. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. I am so thrilled and excited to have you here. I think that uh, your story is so worthy of uh, conversation and what you guys are doing, what your family's doing, your longevity, your history, the things that you're doing, your heart on your sleeve. Uh, it's You're an amazing person, and this is going to be a fun, fun conversation. So I got a 157,911 questions to ask you. So I'm going to shut up and start asking questions, if that's cool with you. Let's knock him out. <laughs> All right. So I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Share with me a little bit. Let's let's start at the beginning. Share with me with the history of your family and how this all kind of started. Yeah, I know, like many other, you know, uh, family farms history, you know, it, it's a generational effort. So, you know, our our, you know, history begins with uh, my grandfather. Uh, he, you know, in the 20s and 30s moved from. Greece to Mexico and started farming their uh, tomatoes. And that was kind of the first generation, right? You know, right. in the 30s, uh, shipping product uh, from Mexico to the United States. The second generation, you know, was my father. Uh, him and his generation came in kind of in the 60s. Uh, you know, my, my dad, you know, he wanted to be a grower from day one. He studied agronomy and, um, you know, and while in college, um, uh, bumped into, you know, the uh, Rachel Carson book and Silent Spring and, and right. just, you know, like, wow, what an idea. And it seems crazy, <laughs> right? You know, um, you know, and how could that work? And, you know, like really, you know, I grow in a valley that there's, you know, thousands of acres and how could that idea even, you know, work? Um, it wasn't until the eighties that he traveled to Spain to, to uh, Holland where he see, saw the, the greenhouse technology that he said, well, you know, if I, if I have a, you know, a controlled environment, you know, could that crazy idea of organics work there? And, right. um, you know, so in the early nineties, he started his first trials um, of organics inside greenhouses. And, you know, my generation, my brothers and I, you know, we came to the business in the, you know, mid to late nineties and, mm -hmm. um, you know, took up the, the, the ideas, uh, you know, from our previous generation and right. we took the farm 100% um, organic. Wow. So 1930s, and here we are in 2021. I know, is it 2021 or is it still 2020? Just like March is like 1,000th day. I don't even know anymore. Um, you guys got certified back in the, what, the early 90s, right? Right, right. So, so I mean, back, it was like getting, it literally was like getting a receipt for cash when you got certified back in those days. It was, you know, it was like the system was not anywhere like, like it is today. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, here in our office, we have our, our first uh, organic certificate hanging there, you know, from 1991, um, wow. you know, certified and, it, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it you, you, you know, th that it's been long when, you know, back in the day, USDA hadn't had the national organic program. It was, uh, we were kind of just following the California law on right. the production system of 1990. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, when my dad started it, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, I wouldn't say the beginning of the movement, but certainly, you know, uh, the movement was starting to kind of become more, you know, 
an upward trend and, yeah. and really kind of building out the what what it meant to be uh you know organic at the time yeah for sure well it was post alar so that was a big deal and then, and then you started getting a lot of people that you know started paying more attention to it and it started to grow and you had some brands some emerging brands out there that were starting to gain traction like yourself and opening up those runways so yeah you were definitely i mean you have ridden uh, you know, a ride up for a very, very long time. And it's so, it's so great to see this trajectory of our industry. So tell me a little bit, what's it mean to be wholesome? Right. So, so I, for me as being part of a, a, a culture, um, you know, we have company values here that, you know, that, 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 you know, where do these values come from, right? Like they really kind of come from like looking back at our stories that we tell over and over again, Right. And, you know, you know, we have, um, you know, value called that we're problem solvers. You know why? Right. Because, you know, we expect things to go wrong. Like as growers, you know, you know, my dad would always say, you know, you know, you know, hey, you know, expect problems or not. You're going to be disappointed. Right. Right. You know, and, you know, and, and, and it's that mantra that we need to be able to, you know, solve our problems. Like, um, you know, a brother of mine, uh, you know, used to say, Hey, look, you know, nobody's going to come here and teach us how to do it. We got to figure out on our own. So let's just get to it. Let's put a trial on, you know, you know, cucumbers where we, you know, do a, a you know, just one shoot and we let's do another one. We put three shoots and see which one works out better. Right. Like nobody's going to come and, 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 and teach us and tells us how to do it. We're going to develop our own knowledge. So. So these, these values kind of come out from our history and from our story. And now we recognize them and put them up to our four company values, which is, you know, integrity, responsible growing, you know, problem solvers and people on the move. Right. And these these are the the, the four values that we try to you know live up to. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's, they are aspirational and we try to like see these behaviors and we, you know, teach them to all of our employees. And that for us, you know, it's what it means to be wholesome. I love that. And I love the fact that you use the word culture and people multiple times in the sentence because it's so important. Um, you know, culture, culture, developing culture inside of a business, I think is catalyst to get a brand to propel itself. Right. If the people behind you don't love what it is that you are doing, that brand just, just needs CPR, it seems like all the time. And I just love that about your business and what you guys do. Um, you have a quote that you guys use saying that growing organic produce is more in a business. It's a lifestyle. What's that actually mean? And what's it mean really specifically? What's it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, to, to me is, is that, you know, like when you grow organically and you kind of like, you know, live by this set of values, right? It really kind of starts, you know, for us, it started to, to come together. Like, like it was like a domino that you start, you know, uh, knocking down and then that leads you to other actions and you kind of just follow that path, right? So for us, it's a lifestyle in the sense like, I remember thinking back, you know, in, in, in the late nineties that, you know, we were such a cool, you know, company, we were, you know, growing organically, we were using compost, we felt like really sustainable and cutting edge. Right. But then right. You know, the next thing, you know, it's like, well, you know, what about the electricity that we're using? Huh? We, I guess we didn't think about that. Right. Like, where does that come from? And how renewable is that? And, you know, and, and what about the clamshell that we're using? And then all of a sudden you start kind of like one question leads you to another question. Right. And, and, and your responsibility to your employees, to your community, you know, to your customers, you kind of start seeing that, 
you know, holistically. And, right. and to me, you know, that's the kind of the lifestyle that, that we want to say, you know, we, we're into. So it, it, it doesn't stop at the company gates. Like, you know, we, we think about, you know, our impact, our responsibility, you know, beyond that. Right. I love, I love that. I love that. What's it mean? So taking that question a step further, what's it mean to the consumer? So, so for me, it, it's, it's like, Wholesome wants to be um, um, a company that expresses its value through what they grow, right? So, you know, we, we want to grow with integrity. So we take organic integrity really seriously, right? right? Like we don't just, you know, say, oh, here's a certificate and let's go for it. Well, we, we want to kind of take that a step further, right? We actually send, you know, people there to, yeah, you know, follow the audits, follow the non-compliances, you know, and really kind of feel that, you know, the operation that we're going to represent, that we're going to put our name on it, it's living up to that organic integrity. So for right. us, is it's really kind of, you know, if, if we say we have integrity, our products have integrity, and I think our, our, our consumers recognize when that, um, you know, is presented to them in the marketplace. Well, you know, you, you brought up a really interesting point and something that I believe in wholeheartedly, and I think that you guys represent that to a T, is, is getting into the conversation about positive costs into food. Um, and what does that mean? What does it mean to have integrity into your brand? What does it mean to do some of the things that you've done? To your point earlier, you brought up about being in a CEA environment. You know, what is our energy use? Which is, of course, a big debate in the CEA space, right? Um, and amongst all the other debates that they have, right? But um, it's just interesting to me, you know, how you looked at that and said, hey, we've got to have integrity in that conversation as much as we have integrity in our people conversation. And I think that's uh, extremely commendable. It really is. And I know one of the areas that um, you guys are, are cutting edge, leading the way, have been banging this drum for a long time that I think is really quite inspirational. And, and one of the things I really wanted to kind of get into with people, because I think it's just it's a little bit unsung in a lot of ways. I don't think people necessarily, I think people understand what it is, but they may not necessarily know the depth of what it is and, and what's involved. And that's fair trade. Um, you guys have been leading that charge. You have been uh, in the forefront. You have been very proud of it. I've seen firsthand, yeah. my own eyes have seen firsthand what you've done. It's amazing to me. And again, it's one of those things that when I talk about positive costs of food, I believe that this is one of those benchmarks that we need to take a look at because of what it's doing. So for uh, everybody out there that, that may or may not know, give us just a quick synopsis of what is fair trade by definition. Yeah, I mean, in its most simple form, you know, it is a certification system, but it, it, is, it, uh, it is a system that is trying to bring equity to the supply chain. It's how most right. simply I can, you know, I can say it, right? You know, and equity, you know, it's, it's about, you know, taking care of every participant in that supply chain. And how we do it is first through standards, right? We have standards about, you know, uh, worker safety. We have standards about, you know, uh, uh, you know, harassment. But we also have what differentiates this from other certifications is that we actually are trying to, you know, sell a promise to consumers that the people that produce this cucumber, pepper, tomato, right, are going to be treated fairly in the dealings. And we are asking consumers to give a very small percentage of that sale back to the people that grew that awesome tomato that you're going to make a great and healthy meal with. 
you know, back to their community so that everybody can develop together. I believe that, you know, consumers will get a great quality product. And I think the farm workers will be able to develop their communities and the farmers will be able to enjoy the sale of that produce. Well, it's interesting. Again, it's integrity and positive cost of food, but it's also bringing a reality to the food supply system. You know, so often we run to the grocery store to pick something up and that is the extent of our effort into that process, right? It's like, I have to go get X, Y, Z. But now this is a moment of pause and back to, um, you know, lifting up the bar, um, you know, raising, raising awareness. I think it's just fantastic. So let's get a little more specific and I want to dive deep into fair trade. I got a whole bunch of questions, which is exciting for me. Um, so tell us more specifically about your involvement with fair trade. Right. So, so we started uh, looking at fair trade in, you know, 2012, um, you know, first, you know, the, the, the fair trade standard was brand new to, and it had opened up to, you know, what they call the, you know, farm worker standard. And mm-hmm. we were trying to understand how to apply it to our farms. And it was interesting because at the beginning, you know, we, we could see that we were complying with a lot of the spirit of those standards. We were just not, registering that or um or in any way you know uh, accounting for for you know some of those positive changes a lot of growers see the standards and they go like i already do that i already yeah but you don't get any credit for it right and you don't have any systematic way to you know to really kind of say look i do this not you know once at a blue moon i do it consistently right so standards and and we saw that it was uh something that was already kind of compatible to what we're doing we have to make a ton of changes we had to make um you know a lot of training to people and the funny thing was when when we presented it to our board of directors and you know you know i, I don't remember the figures exactly but you know we went to our board of directors and we said like look we want to do this certification and i think at the time we were talking about that the cost to the company was going to be some somewhere around you know, one hundred and twenty thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to retrofit. You know, the the you know two farms at the time we were just doing Mexico, and you know do all this training, mm-hmm. and and the board was okay. You know, so how does this work? So like like we're like, well, you know, you, you get certified, you get a standard, and then once you get certified, you're able to sell under fair trade terms. You know, which has a premium attached to it. And they're like, okay, we understand that. And then that premium goes back to the farm worker. And they're like, right. all right, so how much does Wholesome get out of that premium? And we're like, well, it gets nothing. <laughs> and they're like, why don't we just get the 150000 you know, give everybody bonuses and we're done, right? <laughs> and yeah, but it's, but it's deeper than that, right? I mean, it, and I want to get, we'll get into that, but I mean, it's a much deeper company culture connection than just that premium or whatever that turned right? Right. Yeah, you know, so so how I sold my board of directors on it, it was like, look, give me that hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? I'm going to go out to the marketplace. I'm going to sell enough fair trade produce that I'm going to bring back to the farm, twice that, in benefit to the to to the to our employees and farm workers. So we were able to get that first year about three hundred thousand dollars back to the farm. That you know our our board directors invested one fifty. We're able to get back three hundred thousand now. You know, so that was kind of our first year. It was our first experience. It was awesome at the beginning. Was a lot of like you know, hey, you know, in the future we're gonna get this benefit, and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
man, but when that first bus, you know, rode in, when, when, you know, like it was like one of the, 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 right. the, the first needs, you know, um, that farm workers had identified, we need access, reliable access for our kids, especially the ones that, you know, were taking school, like, you know, high school and, and they needed to kind of send their kids to a town that it was about, you know, a 15 minute bus ride, you know, north. And when that bus rode in, then everybody got it. It, it became tangible, it became real. And farm workers in their, in, their, in, in their leadership took over the program. Like they, right. they believed it and now they're totally engaged on it. Well, you know, I gotta tell you, I went to public high school, but my math tells me that if you started with 150 and you ended at 300, that's good. <laughs> yeah. so you so you you first got certified in mexico and when did you get certified in mexico so so in 2012 we started our certification 2012 2013 was kind of our first year that we went live with it right, right. um and uh it, it wasn't until 2016 that uh there was the opportunity to go um and bring fair trade to the united states back then the standard did not allow for um uh, certification in what they call the global north um mm -hmm. and for us it was a weird time because we were you know in 2013 we started kind of collecting these the, the, these premiums and started doing projects in communities and communities of origin of farm workers especially right. immigrant farm workers right so now we're still ce celebrating all these successes in mexico and in the united states we're like well we have a farm here in arizona and you know, yeah, we had kind of like a end of season, you know, like celebration, but nothing else, right? So we felt, a, a, um, you know, we were on balance. Um, so when Fairtrade uh, USA, the, you know, the, the, the organization that regulates this announced that they wanted a pilot for the United States, we were right. the first to say like, hey, you know, we're in, we, we, we wanted to be the guinea pigs. So in 20, uh, sorry, in 2016, uh, we jumped to the idea to certify the farm here in Arizona, and it became the first uh, yeah. fair trade certified farm. In the first United fair trade certified farm in the United States. Well, that's a pretty big accomplishment. That's a pretty big buy-in. I love that. Now, yeah. just taking it a little bit more for a circle, just so people get a perspective on how committed you are. You have a new role. I don't, I'm assuming you what you do this Saturday afternoons for like an hour with your schedule. Well, how, how do you do this? How, how do you? How are you now the chairman of Fair Trade USA? Huh? Yeah, so I, um, I mean, I, I'm certainly, as you can see, kind of have drank the Kool-Aid. Um, I, I see firsthand, and I believe how fair trade, uh, you know, can change communities. And, and it's and it's like we have many certifications, organic certifications, food safety certifications, and they're all great and everything. But man, we don't celebrate any of those like we celebrate the fair trade certification, right? How much it means to to our employees and to our communities where sure. we grow produce, right? So, I mean, I, you know, when I was invited um, uh, to become part of the board of directors, um, you know, of, of Fair Trade USA, you know, the organization that writes the standards, that, um, you know, uh, does the audits. And I saw that, you know, my understanding of this, um, you know, system could go beyond agriculture. Like these guys are bringing fair trade to apparel, to home goods. I mean, um, you got companies like, you know, Patagonia, J. Crew coming out with fair trade, you know, pants that have been sewed in factories that actually use the same system to bring equity to those supply chains, right? 
they are starting fisheries, right? So you read about, you know, things that happen out in the middle of the ocean with shrimp farmers being screwed, right? And all of a sudden, you know, here's the fur trade standard coming in and, and, and bringing a system to those that are willing to get certified to, to, to change the narrative, right? You know, they're expanding it into dairy, right? So right. all of a sudden, you know, I had an opportunity to, you know, bring some part of the knowledge that we've gained through this journey, you know, that we've been on and, you know, share it with really passionate people in a nonprofit. So I thought that that was a, a great fit for what I was doing. And for sure. I spend a lot of energy uh, and time in trying to, you know, propel the fair trade movement forward. You know, yes, I'm the most advocate, you know, for fair trade produce, but, you know, beyond produce, I, I also, you know, you know, love to see the system to bring more equity to more supply chains beyond just produce. Well, you know, again, it's a positive cost of food. And I think it's worthy of our time. It's worthy of our energy and it's worthy of our efforts to understand and implement it. Because in the world today, we're all trying to do a little better than the world from yesterday. Right. And I think that this right. speaks to that. And I think that when you see, and I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit more about your accomplishments, but you know, I, I shared a conversation with a mutual friend, James White, and he talked about you and he's part of fair trade as well. And he said, he banged a drum so loud for you about your passion and your heart for this. And uh, we, we shared, we shared a couple laughs and we talked a little bit, but it was fun to share with him, you know, our chance that we were going to have talking specifically about fair trade. And he's just, reminded me about your passion and it fired me up. And so I can hear it in your voice and I know everybody else can too. So let's get a little deeper. I want to get a little deeper into the fair trade conversation because you're willing to share. And that's a fun thing I think about fair trade is the fact that you guys are willing to share. You're willing to talk about these accomplishments and you're not afraid to talk about things that are struggles too. That's a part of understanding, I think, the positivity that we need to look at when it comes to cost of food. So tell us what um, your support of fair trade and fair trade practices have accomplished. So, so, you know, like I would tell you that, you know, you know, fair trade also, you know, it's a journey, right? Um, you know, you don't get there year one, you understand it more and more, your employees and your, you know, part of your team, you really kind of understands it more and more, you know, sure. you know, we, we have done great uh, uh, achievements, like we measure, you know, our contributions back to the farm every year, you know, so far, we have sent back, you know, premiums to farms, in the United States and in Mexico for $5.8 million. 5.8 million. Yes, since the inception of this program, right? Uh, you know, we think that we have touched the lives of about, you know, 2,000 uh, farm workers. Uh, wow. In, uh, seven, no, it would be uh, nine years that we've been uh, on this journey, right? And, you know, one of the cool things about fair trade is that it is... It also has taught me lessons in humility, to be honest with you. It is not a top-down uh, approach to solutions. Like, I don't bring, you know, some pre-prescribed solutions to farm workers in Sonora right. or in Watsonville, California, right, where we have, you know, farms that operate under the fair trade standard. But the farm workers themselves drive the bus and to me, it was, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story, you know, of humility, right, um, on understanding what real empowerment is. You know, I, I think it was kind of at the beginning of our journey when we, you know, our first couple of years, you know, we've gotten some first wins. We, we were really proud of that. 
you know, our sales team was energized to go try and sell, you know, on their fair trade terms, asking right. all of our customers to contribute right into this. And, you know, you know, the, you know, we, we have done like some work on nutrition, you know, bringing kids, you know, nutritious foods for breakfast. We had done this, this idea about the bus, about bringing transportation. Uh, we had even done some, you know, health uh, uh, initiatives. And then they told me, oh, the next big project, we're going to spend $80,000 in building a soccer field. I was like, what? You know, like we, we were kind of in such a trajectory, like, any, like, you know, do you know how much it takes to raise $80,000? How many people we have to convince to pay us the premium to raise? And we're going to build a soccer field? I was like, at the beginning, I was like, it just didn't seem to me very necessary. Right. You no. Know, and then the general manager for the farm, you know, a guy that has been such a fair trade champion, Francisco Andel, he told me, Ricardo, you don't really live here. Like, you know, don't take your values, your community, you know, view and try to bring it here. Like, you don't live here. You don't know what it's like to live here. He's like, this soccer field has become now the center of social life in town. You know, mm -hmm. before the soccer field, people had very little, you know, ways to spend their time and energy. So there was a lot of gossip in the farm and this and that. Now people are coming here, you know, forming, there's like 11 teams uh, that have, right. have, you know, kids and, you know, female league and co-eds. And this is like people come out here, root for their kids, root for their wives. You know, they installed lights so they can play until the, you know, um, late hours in the night. I learned a valuable lesson that I don't know what people need. They know better than myself. And, and that actually kind of changed the way I approached, you know, you right. know, farm workers know what they need. We don't need to tell them. We just need to give them the tools to, for them to do it for themselves. What an uplifting story. And I mean, and you're right, you know, it, it's, uh, it's soccer is such a, a big part of the culture and to be able to have a place and I've seen it, right. I've seen your field that they made. It's beautiful. I mean, and it, it really is the focal point of what goes on. I think you've got 11 teams now going. You know, and what it does, you're right. But it is that is a humbling, humbling lesson. But what a great opportunity that that you've afforded that conversation to even happen because of fair trade. Right. <laughs> and then you go back, and then you know, and I'm going to say it again: to go back and use the word 5.8 million dollars raised to give back to helping improving lives of over 2,000 people. I don't know. That's pretty damn cool. It's pretty damn cool. So tell me a little bit, you know, I want to go beyond just the soccer park a little bit. Tell me more about some of the school projects, the educational related projects that you guys have done. So, so as you can see that, you know, the fair trade movement has become, you know, pretty integral to the wholesome culture too, right? Um, so, you know, we say that, that we also kind of have a shared responsibility with this program, right? So the, the typical way, uh, you know, a committee that is kind of like the, the leadership of that fair trade, uh, um, you know, farm worker community goes about is they put out, you know, they, they formulate projects that come from suggestions from all farm workers, right. they put them out to vote in a democratic way. We always get, you know, high 80s, low 90 participation, right? People go out and vote for these uh, initiatives. And, you know, not 
all of the uh, projects earn, um, you know, funds because funds are limited, right? So only the maybe top one, top two, depending on how big they are, earn um, the funding, right? And the other ones, they're just going to have to kind of wait till the next round, right? Um, so what Wholesome has done through this idea of shared responsibility is, you know, out of our pocket, we go and we'll say, hey, Fair Trade Committee, we see that, you know, you wanted to get a school lunch program going, but the funds ran out and they're not no longer available. Wholesome will step in, we'll put in the funds, we will invite our you know, customers to come out and volunteer their time and build this you know, school kitchen so that you can actually do you know, your lunches, you can do your, your breakfast and provide it to students. Mm -hmm. And we will put in the infrastructure if you run it. And we've done it twice now, uh, these type of projects uh, for schools. And we did one for a community center, for a computer lab as well. Uh, people enjoy kind of coming down and working really hard in the sun in sure. the middle of the desert, right? And they come they come away with a, with a big appreciation, right? I mean, it's only been until the pandemic that we started realizing that farm workers are very, very important, you know, for us to have food in our table, right? But, you know, through, through these, um, you know, opportunities to volunteer, you know, we invite, you know, our, our customers to come out and they come and see it from a whole different perspective. Well, I think I wanted to lean into that because you said shared responsibility. And so for you to be able to bring the, the front to the consumer, the retailer, maybe the wholesaler, whoever it is that's helping push this forward to come out and actually be on the property to actually build something um, is pretty pretty phenomenal. It definitely makes a very connective deal. And I think it reinforces what positive costs and food are all about. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, from an education standpoint, when I got the chance to go down and visit um, years back, you guys were building a computer lab for kids. I'm assuming that's up and running now, and I'm sure that's made a huge impact to the community. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me tell you a story, um, you know, about um, the guy that actually runs it. Uh, it, it. It's 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 the dream story that I'd like to replicate many times again, right? Um, this gentleman that runs it, he says, uh, Misael Doram, uh, he um, is the son of mm -hmm. a farm worker, right, uh, that uh, works for Wholesome. Uh, this gentleman works in the maintenance department, and uh, Misael, through the Fair Trade um, uh, funds, was able to get a grant to go to school. And um, he ended up going to a state school in Mexico, uh, studied uh, uh, systems, and decided to apply for the job of being the one that runs the computer lab in the farm. He wanted to come back and be able to kind of teach these kids about computers, help them with homework, you know, and be part of coming back full circle, putting his time back into the community that helped him out. So to me, Misael's story is awesome because here you see a second generation that was able to get access to education thanks to fair trade, but he comes back to the farm. And as he's now instructing a whole generation of farm kids, on you know how to get better skills, how to how to really you know be able to do research online, how to do their you know homework uh, you know on computers, how to use Word, how to use Excel, right? And he's now teaching these kids, 
and he's kind of bringing back. So, I mean, to me, that is the dream of fair trade. Wow. And, and, and I love that. And, uh, and it reminds me of something that I've heard you say before, and I think it's just wonderful as generosity sparks more generosity. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a very powerful statement in sharing that. Give us some more, um, give us a little bit, uh, kind of how you've changed, if you can, a few more stories or some ideas so people can understand that, you know, really the impact of what you were doing. You know, how have you changed some lives and families and individuals with this program? Specifically, yeah. Let, let me build on the story about generosity sparks more generosity, right? You know, people people that are being shown gen, generosity, they're generous themselves. You know, um, and and maybe this is a concept that we don't see a lot of examples in everyday life. But you know, um, you know, when you have a fair trade uh, um, product, you know, our farm workers understand that for every box that we label as fair trade that goes out of the farm, there's a benefit coming back to their community. They take care of that product, they take care of those orders, they know exactly who that is going to, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it was in, you know, in 2018, um, we had a hurricane that hit uh, Southern Mexico really hard. You know, we, we, you know, our farms are in Northern Mexico, we didn't even get rain, but there were some hurricanes that came to Southern Mexico and hit them really hard and those communities were really affected, right? Um, you know, some of our farm workers have roots in, in, in Southern Mexico and Central Mexico. So they were like, what do we do? Like, we want to do something to, to help. Um, and, uh, you know, at the beginning, just at the farm, really kind of organically, you know, they started kind of like, you know, should we start like a collection and let's, you know, pitch in and, you know, like, and then um, try, try, to, try to, you know, contribute back to the Red Cross. Uh, and somebody said, hey, could we use our fair trade funds to donate to uh, the Mexican Red Cross for hurricane relief? Right. Uh, you know, our, our, our admin was like, uh, we don't know. Let us call, you know, the standard people. They said, yes, you just kind of have to do the same process. It's got to be a democratically, you know, elected. And one of the choices has to be donate nothing, right? Uh, so they put it out to vote. Hey, we want to, you know, donate to hurricane relief, give up the, the fair trade funds that we've collected and, you know, give them to the, fair, you know, to the Red Cross. The choices are give nothing, you know, give amount to like, it was like 10,000 or give, you know, something like 30,000, right? You know, wow. 30,000 won by like 90 some percent. People voted to give to the Red Cross. We just gave it to the Red Cross. We don't know exactly who benefit. But it was it was something that our community, you know, was hungry to do. So it was like, here's people that are being shown generosity and they're willing to give up, you know, their the, the funds that they collected so far that year, you know, for hurricane relief for other people that were suffering too. So what what amazing. a what an amazing story of people showing generosity. Well, it is, and I think it goes back to the whole concept. I think it goes back to your leadership and what your family's decided to do, right? You could have taken a different path, right? And um, you didn't, and you've stuck to this path, and you've been doing this for a long time now, and you're starting to see how much impact that has. And I think it's phenomenal. And I know that that you've got workers now that are homeowners. You've got, I mean, the, the empowerment that you're doing, the uplifting that you're doing, isn't just all about what you're putting out, you know, each, each day in a box. It goes again. It's so much deeper. So from home ownership, kids going to school and graduating. Uh, getting those, you know, those opportunities that they may not necessarily have is extremely, extremely commendable, to say the no, least. 
and, and, and we want to, you know, like we got here just by trying to do, you know, the, 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 the next stop, you know, the, the, the next step in that responsibility chain, right? We just, you know, it, it's been now many years, but we got here also in a journey, like one step at a time. We're just sure. trying to like understand this kind of role of uh, uh, that we have and, 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 and go the next step, right? So for, right. Us, for us, it's been extremely rewarding. And, and we want to think about Wholesome as a vehicle, you know, for, you know, personal development, professional development, spiritual development. We want to have people kind of join uh, Wholesome and be a vehicle, you know, through you providing great produce grown with great passion, but provide an opportunity for everybody that jumps in. Well, you know, I think what the beauty about fair trade too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the buy-in, I mean, you've got the people at all throughout your supply chain inside your company have a buy-in to that end process. There's a level of caring that goes in to every shift, every employee, that's probably not like a lot of other companies. And I think that's the really cool thing about fair trade is that your actions uplift and inspire everybody involved. And that means the little kid whose mom's going out working or dad's working. And that kid says, I'm watching my folks do their thing. I've got this opportunity. I can go to the computer lab. I could go. I know I have an opportunity to go to college. I have an opportunity to, to do whatever I want to be able to do with my life because of that system. And I think it's just, it's so cool. I, I, I don't know why more people don't embrace it. I don't know why more people don't run to it and really lean into the fact that it is a true positive cost of food and it's well worth doing. Do you have any other stories you can share? Because it's just fascinating to me, you know, um, just the way you've connected to so many people. You got to have some good ones out there that I think are probably worthy of our time and energy to listen to. Yeah, I mean, there's many stories. I mean, um, you know, we also want to kind of have taken this movement to, uh, you know, all, all the partners that we work with. I mean, you know, we have our, you know, three farms, but we also work with, uh, you know, other farm, farmers around Mexico, around sure. the United States now too. And, you know, we've certified farms, you know, in California and Arizona, but also, you know, in central Mexico, right? Right. And one of these farms, um, you know, this gentleman called Daniel Gutierrez, I mean, he has a, a story that, you know, prior to working for, uh, you know, one of our pepper farms there in central Mexico, um, you know, he worked for a steel mill and, you know, due to an unfortunate accident, he had a, a hearing loss. It was pretty severe, went undiagnosed at the beginning. And, you know, he had a really hard time communicating, as you, as you probably you know, can guess. Right. Um, you know, at, at this farm, um, the, the owners had embraced, you know, the, the, the fair trade uh, movement. They had mm -hmm. certified their farms and we have been selling and proud to be representing them in the market. Um, you know, and selling wholesome fair trade peppers for them. Um, so they decided to, uh, you know, do a, a health clinic um, in this farm where they actually diagnosed Daniel of this, uh, you know, problem that he was communicating and had to do with loss of hearing. So, you know, through the fair trade committee, uh, he was able to get hearing aids. So now this person, all of a sudden, his life went from, you know, a very kind of confusing atmosphere, sure. you know, trying to figure it out to somebody that, you know, just, he, he's, he's just jumps with energy, jumps with joy, you know, you know, this person can communicate clearly. And, you know, obviously this is something that kind of came to it, you know, through the uh, efforts of, uh, uh, you know, an equity supply chain, right? Generosity sparks more generosity. 
I think I think I love, you got to get that on a T-shirt. I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> telling you, you better hurry. Right. You better hurry up before somebody puts a little R by that. So tell me, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and, and kind of talk a little bit more about the business and what you're up to and what you guys are doing. Tell me a little bit about your Grown for Good campaign and uh, why it's important. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we started kind of, uh, you know, looking for something that communicated what we were kind of about. And, you know, we were like, grow for good. We want we want to grow, you know, good food that is, you know, really, you know, you know, healthy and tasty. Right. We want to grow it in the right way. We want to grow it, you know, good for the consumer. We want to grow it good for the people in the communities that produce it. Right. right. We want to kind of, you know, connect the yin with the yang. We really kind of want to do the responsible choice here. So when we're saying, you know, grown for good is, you know, good health, good flavor and good livelihood. I love that. I love that. I mean, that certainly encompasses who you guys are. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but now you've made some really significant changes in your packaging stuff, which I'd like to just touch on briefly um, because I think it's worthy of the conversation. So packaging changes for you are now fitting into that grown for good kind of campaign and that mantra about you know doing things a little different and a good livelihood. Can you share a little bit about some of your changes there? Because I think they're really cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, like was that responsibility chain, that, that, that journey doesn't stop, right? Like at the produce. So now you start looking at your packaging, right? So how do we, you know, become more responsible in our packaging? And it's and it's hard. Packaging has to communicate, it has to provide convenience, right. it has to protect the product. It does a lot, you know, a lot of jobs, and 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 it has to come out, you know, at a cost that is reasonable for the farmer to to uh, to be able to afford, right? So, you know, packaging has to do many jobs at the same time. So, you know, we started looking at first, you know, you know, our recyclable content in our packaging. We started looking at way, ways to reduce plastic. We uh, come up with some ideas where we can have um, packaging that is 100% compostable too, right? And, you know, we go out to the marketplace and try to offer, you know, uh, these solutions. You know, we really kind of um, have a, a started looking at everything that, that, that comes in, all the inputs that come into to growing and producing, you know, fresh, organic, you know, uh, vegetables. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you start looking at how much packaging is of everything that we buy, so we put everything and in, 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 in we measured um so all of our inputs from seeds to fertilizer to growing media right and and how many tons of packaging we have and packaging became the biggest um category in terms of tons that we purchase every year i didn't know that right uh, years ago i didn't know that so you know, obviously we saw an opportunity there to increase our responsibility. You know, I, I thought it like, I don't know, something like fertilizer was going to come out. It looks really menacing there in the warehouse. There's these sure. sacks on top of them. Whereas boxes and clamshells, you know, you know, it, you know, they come and go, they come and go. Like, I don't see them. But once you start measuring, packaging became the biggest category of everything we purchased. So we're trying to measure all of our inputs and understand if they are renewable or non-renewable source. So right now we are about 62% of all of our inputs in, in, uh, in metric tons, they come from renewable sources. You know, we, we, we got to work on the other 38 
And, you know, you could tell that, you know, yeah, there's some plastic in there that, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta find alternatives for. Well, you do. Yes. The other 38, but I think what's more important is I hope the people that haven't got one or two or three, take a moment of pause and ask themselves where they are in this packaging deal, because plastics packaging, you know, is a really big problem. And I don't think people realize that inside of our bodies, you know, there's equivalent of about a credit card worth of plastic floating around in our systems. It's pretty gross. Um, but you know, it's funny when you think about packaging and organics, I can remember back before gray hair, um, when we were trying to launch this thing forward and getting out there, how we were just beat down into putting everything in a package. We kept arguing back. It's like, we should be the one sector that doesn't have packaging, make everybody else go to packaging, keep us out of it. And unfortunately that didn't work. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried, but we tried, but it didn't work. It didn't work. No, the, so the, the ring of the yeah. register is pretty powerful, right? You know, like not missing the ring of a register became pretty powerful. I'm, I'm hopeful now that with, you know, some of the G10 technology that they can do, you know, bulk produce and they can scan yeah. it in and we could, you know, not have to put everything in a bag or clamshell just so that retailers can not miss the ring. So yeah, for sure. Right. That, that has been something in our industry that kind of pushes and pulls us and it kind of comes in circles too. Right. You know, people realize sure. that, you know, that, 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 that idea has merit, you know, when you don't miss the ring, but people also realize that, Consumers are not used to buying everything in packs. But, you know, but you sharing your story about what you're doing to mitigate that, to change, is super important. I mean, your story, you know, whether you have, you know, 38% or 42%, whatever the number is, your story raises the bar on everybody else, right? And I think it's important that, that, that we keep these conversations going because we all have to make a change. We can't, you know, uh, we can't just... We all have to change, not one person, right? It has to start with one to get to two, to go to three, but we got to get everybody on board if we really want to get the ball down the field. But I think that's what's super, super important. So let me ask you another quick, quickie question. And you, you can decline to answer this one if you want. What's going on that's new and active out there and some varieties and some flavor stuff? You got to play your hand a little bit. You're going to tell me to move on to the next question. I kind of want to tell you to move on to the next All right, question. that's fine. I knew that was coming. But, but what, let me tell you what I can share. I mean, um, you know, you know so, some of the exciting stuff is, is, is uh, you know, really kind of like a little boring, but increasing yields is still so important. I mean, in a time when we're being like, you know, wood pallets are scarce and, you know, they're becoming more expensive. Transportation is, you know, hitting us really hard. I mean, the right. economics of agriculture haven't changed. You know, uh, the, the prices of produce rarely, you know, moves with inflation, right? So as growers, we're always under the gun to start, and, and, and higher yields every year. If not, we're going to get it left behind, right? If right. we're not finding ways to increase our yields, become more effective and squeeze more production out of every meter square, you know, inflation is going to, to get us. We can't raise our prices any further. Like there's, you know, it's not like cars that, you know, back in the seventies were, you know, $4,000 and now you pay $20,000 for a car. You know, prices of tomatoes are pretty much, you know, anywhere from 199 to 399, and they're not going anywhere, right? Right. So I want to jump into that. You set me up for my next question. Thank you, which is I want to talk a little bit about ag technology because it's a big conversation right now, but especially in the organic field, there's a lot of sure. ebb and flow. There's a lot of, um, 
yelling and not a lot of talking in certain cases. Um, I come from the perspective that I think ag technology is important. I think some of the things that are coming out are great, especially when you talk about ways to save water, which is a tremendous problem that we need to address. And here in California, worst drought in 125 years, guys letting trees go that are dying. So ag technology to me is, is a very worthy conversation. I come from perspective and, and agree with me or, or not is that it's an, you know, so many people have it as an and or or conversation. Right. And I'm more of the and side, like, you know, technology and dirt farming, technology and farming, they've got to come together um, for the betterment of the planet overall and all these billions of people that are coming. So share with me, if you can, a little bit about the positivity of ag technology for you, what it's done, some of the things you have measured that you know that you're doing. I know we touched on it earlier about energy and stuff, but I'm just curious, really, and really specifically about water, because I think that's a really valid conversation. Right. So, I mean, in, in our company culture, you know, problem solving is something that I told you from the beginning, like this right. is, this is who we are. We, we're here to solve problems. We expect things to be hard. Sure. Right? Um, so yes, technology provides those solutions. We want to, you know, have technology that works in conjunction with organic growing and organic growing philosophy. We want technology that helps that, um, you know, organic philosophy, you know, shine even brighter, right? And, you know, we also understand that we're in a planet that, you know, has scarce resources, you know, so yeah, I mean, we grow here in Arizona and it's certainly, you know, something uh, that water is a, you know, certainly a precious resource in the desert, right? So how are we going to be good stewards? How are we going to show right. that responsibility to our community, right? And, you know, through real different technologies, what we've been able to do is, you know, uh, grow in a way where we can capture um, our drain water and bring it back, clean it and put it back into the system again. And when you do that, you're able to become way more efficient with the water. You sure. know, um, when, when you, you when you irrigate the plant, about 30% of the water you put in kind of, you know, drains away. And, you know, that water also has, you know, nutrients. So you don't, you don't mm -hmm. want to let it go, right? It's got a value in it. So by you collecting it back again, you're kind of getting, uh, you know, water that already has nutrients. You don't have to start at zero and you put it back in there. So what we've been able to do, I'll give you an example, you know, um, you know, if, if you read the literature, you know, if you uh, farm, you know, in a traditional, you know, uh, field of tomatoes, uh -huh. you use about 24 gallons to produce one pound of, of tomatoes in a greenhouse technology with recirculation, you can lower that to five gallons for, for a pound. So, you know, you could do the math, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty big savings, you know, 19 gallons of water less to produce the same pound of tomatoes. So that's the type of, you know, efficiency that we need um, to kind of really show responsibility in areas where water is a pretty damn, you know, a uh, scarce resource. It's a hugely scarce resource and it's only going to get worse. And I think that you're going to start to see that as the summer progresses. I just looked at, I just looked at the 10 day forecast for the Valley and uh, they're going to be 111, 113 degrees coming up. Woo! Stuff needs, wa stuff needs water at 113, right? I, I've never water. That. I say that's hot. <laughs> that's hot, baby. But you know, I, I think something important to recognize in this whole debate and in this conversation about ag technology and, and doesn't get enough I think street cred is let's not forget it is all about the food. 
right? I think our first priority is to get food, good, clean, healthy food on people's tables. And that that, you know, using technology helps us get good, clean, organic food on people's table. And you just saved 19 gallons of water. I find it hard not to have that conversation um, and find a way to get the or out of the conversation and put the and in the conversation. My soapbox for the day. No, and, and I, I think what we are trying to do is we are farmers first. You know, these are all tools, right? You know, at right. the end of the day, you know, you can have a fancy computer system, but, you know, somebody, you know, a grower needs to tell the computer system when to start irrigation cycles, how much, how long they should be, you know, you know, um, you know, if we're venting, you know, what is the set point for humidity? What is the set point for temperature? Like at the end of the day, you know, having that connection to the plant to try to optimize the environment for the plants is still what we're trying to do, right? These are right. all kind of good and shiny toys, but it's still all about growing. It's still all about the fruit. It's still all about putting a great tasting product in front of you, you know, when you buy it at the supermarket and something that is, you know, clean, something that is grown with great care and something that has, you know, freshness and, and quality into it. Yes. you never get away from that. I love that. Thank you. That's, that's, thank you for summing that up. I appreciate it. I want to shift gears a little bit and, and uh, ask you a couple other kind of different questions. And um, one of which is, is, you shared something with me in our conversations, prepping for this and talking a little bit and, and share the quote with me that you learned that you put into practice. Cause I think it's just great. So, you know, you know, my, you know, it's a story that my dad told me, this is like, you know, agriculture is really easy. You just have to read a hundred page book and you're done. And I'm like, Oh man, that doesn't seem so hard. He's like, yeah, you just get to do one every year. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> at it for you know 65 years so you know i only been at it for 20 some years so i still got a lot to learn i mean I, you know I, you know yeah i mean i think that you know you know that that's why we are so you know oriented in our um uh, company to be problem solvers because you know agriculture is going to throw you things you know you know, it, 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 it's humidity. You have too much or you have too little. You you have new diseases. I mean, in, in the tomato industry, you know, we, you, sure. know, years ago, you know, we were dealing, you know, with, with bacteria. Now we're dealing with, you know, some new viruses, you know, that are uh, attacking. I mean, the brown rugos virus is a big problem in um, in, our, in our in the tomato industry. Everywhere sure it is. Know, it's, it's a big problem, right? So we're going to have you know, problems, we're going to have different, you know, challenges. And every year proves to be one different. You think you got it all figured out. Something comes from left field. You know, that's why we say we got to be problem solvers. We expect. Absolutely. Well, I think it's so it's, it's fair to say in organic farming, if you see you have a problem, you're a day too late. Right. So you've <laughs> got to be proactive. You've got to be proactive. There's no two ways about it. You know, you've got to be proactive. I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm going to soapbox for a second here. You're a really inspirational person. I have to tell you that being around you is is, is a is a great use of time and energy. You know, your your personality it oozes out of you that enthusiasm. It's it's very infectious. I look at what you guys have done, you know, and you have your heart on your sleeve. Your heart is in the front of your business. Your family's heart is in the front of your business. And as a farmer you wake up every day and automatically, and, and all farmers are the same, they wake up every day and they automatically start taking risk as soon as they put their boots on in the morning. Every day is full of risk. And then you guys took it another level by adding 
fair trade. You guys went to, to a, a, a deeper connection to the people that you work with and to the food and to your end customers. And I, I think it's inspirational, man. And I just wanted to say thank you for that because, you know, our, there's just not enough of you out there. And I'm glad that we've got a platform. We've got this opportunity to share a little bit and talk about that. But I wanted to share that, that, you know, you inspire me. If I, if I was to pick people on my list of people that are inspirational, you're on my list. Um, so with that being said, I want to ask you, who inspires you? Yeah, you know, and, and, and thank you for those, uh, you know, kind words. Um, uh, I mean, I tell you what, I mean, uh, in, in our, you know, family business and, and our, you know, family farm, you know, it, you know, our kind of social justice inspiration really kind of comes from my mother. Um, you know, she's the one that kind of has that uh, spirit, um, you know, that you want to kind of do things not just for yourself, but you got to kind of lift up everyone around you. You know, I, you know, remember in the 80s growing up in Mexico, you know, my mom taking me to political rallies, you know, Mexico had one party system or one party that won the elections for 70 years straight. And, you know, here she is, you know, kind of a housewife, you know, going out to political rallies and taking her kids with us, right? You know, I, I saw how passionate my mom was and he, he, she saw injustice and, 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 and really just could not take it, right? Um, and I think, you know, we learned it from her. Um, and, you know, I, you know, we got it from her. I think that the bug of social justice, you know, you know, comes from my mother. Um, you know, she is, uh, uh, you know, still, you know, really passionate about politics. Um, you know, she lives in Mexico. There was just an election here last, uh, uh, sorry, Sunday. Uh, of, of course, she was out there campaigning. Of course, she was out there being loud, right? Because, you know, she really has that, that passion for it. And I think that's where we got it from. I would say that uh, it sounds like it. It sounds Absolutely. like it. And, th and you know what? Thank you for, tell your mom on behalf of uh, everybody that's listening and a part of this, tell her thanks from us, right? Because you're raising the bar and I love that. So let's have, I'm going to shift you. Let's have a little bit of fun. All right. I'm going to put you in the hot seat. I'm going to fire you off some questions. Go, Quick go. answers. Are you ready? All righty. Who's your favorite superhero? Oh, I, you know, I'm a Batman guy for sure. Nothing wrong with that. That's yeah, good. I like that one. Spider. All right. Give me something that's on your bucket list. Oh, I mean, I, I want to go to Egypt. I really want to see the, the the pyramids at Nisa. I want to go to, you know, the Valley of the Kings. I had that on my bucket list for a long time. Uh, you know, that really intrigues me. I'm kind of a little bit of a history nerd. And that's one part of history I've never gotten to. That's like the, you know, before the common era stuff. I mean, really love to, would love to see that. I think that's, you know, something special. I'd like to kind of get there one day. Yeah. That would be cool. I would, I, I'll go with you. That would be very cool. What's, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Um, you know, the, the weirdest thing I ever eaten is, you know, one time I was um, traveling in uh, Oaxaca at the time I was, um, you know, working with some uh, organic mango growers there in, uh, and it was kind of like Oaxaca kind of almost close to the Guatemalan uh, uh, right. border there. Uh, so the gentleman that, that, you know, we were kind of, you know, uh, growing uh, mangoes with and packing mangoes with invited me uh, to go, you know, to have lunch with him and his family. And, um, you know, they actually uh, fish um, 
these kind of bass uh, that are local to the area. And um, just like caviar, that they take the, the sack with all the eggs and they actually fry those eggs and they serve it with a kind of milky, um, you know, buttery sauce uh, with tortillas. Uh, it was crunchy. It was silky. It was delicious. I've never had it again. I only had it that one time. <laughs> okay. I somehow the I never had it again comment is kind of knocking the delicious part out. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm reading into it. If you could trade lives with somebody for one day, who would it be and why? You know, I, I would say I, I would love to kind of, you know, maybe trade lives with one of the apostles, um, um, you know, especially somebody that is, you know, less known, like Bartholomew or something like that. I would have loved to be, you know, front row seat through that adventure, through, you know, Galilee, through, you know, um, Jerusalem, Samaria. I, I would have loved to be part of that and have a front row seat to the life of Jesus. I would think that that would be what I would have loved to see. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. All right, final final trivia question for you. And for, I forgot to tell you, you know, you're playing for cash and prizes. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm going for the big one then. Yeah, well, there's no cash and prize. So that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're reaching for the top. Okay, last question. Who would you rather have a drink with? Frank Sinatra or Snoop Dogg? Oh, I'm, I'm more of a Frank Sinatra guy. I mean, I love the Rat Pack. I mean, um, you know, even uh, my daughter, who's 15 years old, knows who Frank Sinatra is. She plays the songs. You know, we dance to them. Uh, so I'm kind of on the old school on this one. Like, I guess Chairman it's kind of showing my age, too. I'm between oh. both generations. I never quite really made it to hip hop. I'm more of an 80s guy right i'm more of a you know metallica motley crew guy i never really kind of made it to the hip-hop scene it's all right i mean you know hey you can't you got to love the chairman of the board right frank sinatra is one of the best one of the best concerts i've ever seen in my life is frank sinatra he is amazing he was amazing so i've got one final question that i want to throw at you really quick and, and before i do I, I i want to thank you again for you and your family and your leadership your inspiration raising the bar setting a standard out there for people to achieve and work towards. Um, it's worthy, man. On those days when, on those days when you're wondering, just let you know it's worthy and it's worth what you're doing. And I appreciate it. And uh, you got some damn good food out there. And I know that uh, my wife's a big fan of the poppy. So I know that's one I pick up every time I'm in the store these days. And I appreciate the, I appreciate buying those for what you're doing for other people and how that I can vote with my dollars and make changes with my dollars that don't, have anything to do with my neighborhood, but have something to do with uplifting the food conversation. And I think that's so worthy. So I want to ask you one final question. If you could tell folks just one thing about Wholesome, what would you tell them? Well, what a, a, a hard question to answer. You know, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, that, you know, you know, Wholesome is in the journey, right? Through responsibility. Uh, we'll never get there, uh, but we're going to get them. Keep trying. It's a hell of a good answer, my brother. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your energy and uh, hanging out with me a little bit and joining us. Um, I know you can't hear it. I can hear it in my headphones. There's literally, now that the UFOs are here, the whole galaxy's clapping right now for you. Ladies and gentlemen, a big shout out to Ricardo Crisantes and the Wholesome family uh, for what they're doing and what they got going on. 
my brother, I appreciate your time. I, I'm so happy you hung out with me. Let's go do it again. You got an open invitation. Come on. We'll get more. I'm going to get more into the details about these new varieties. I'll get it out of you. I know I will. Hey, thank you, Todd. This has been a blast to kind of hang out with you and, you know, you know, talk produce, talk fair trade. You know, these are things that I'm passionate about. So it's, a, it's an easy conversation. Thank you, man. Thank you for, you know, lifting up the voices of all these companies. Thank you, man. My pleasure, brother. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging out with us. We'll chat soon. Take care. Wow, that was awesome. A huge shout out to Ricardo for hanging out with us a little bit, informing us, enlightening us about what they do and talking about the subject I love to talk about, driving positive costs in food. We really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Don't forget, the video portion of this is available on our YouTube channel as well as tlc.organic. Uh, the audio stuff is all is available on all the podcasting sites, uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, it's on some ones I've never even heard of before, but we're out there. Um, also look for us on LinkedIn. Um, once again, we're really excited that you're with us. Uh, we've got some great guests coming up, some great conversations, um, and we appreciate your time. So thanks again. We appreciate it. And don't forget to go inspire somebody today. Take care.